0: You are listening to the Restoration L.A. podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. Uh, church, I definitely appreciate your prayers today. You're a little hot? Good? Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I'm running on about three hours of sleep. So, uh, yeah, Addie had a little bit of a, a little allergy issue last night. So I'm a little tired. So if I pass out during my own message, um, that's why. Yeah. But um, speaking of Addie, uh, this last week, I picked her from school, and she says, Daddy, look! Daddy, look! I look behind, and she points her knee, and she has skinned her knee, like, pretty bad. I'm like, Addie, what happened? Like, oh, I fell during, on the playground. I'm like, oh, well, did you, did the teachers take care of it? No. Why not? I didn't tell them. You didn't tell them? Well, why not? I don't know. No, I was going to tell you. Like, well, no, but Addie, Addie, if you're at school and, and, and you hurt yourself, you should let them take care of it. Oh, okay, all right. And a couple days later then, she came up to me and she says, Daddy, Daddy, look at my knee. And now her knee has started to, of course, scab over. It's like, what is this hard thing on my knee? Like, well, that's a scab. It's, it's like the dry blood and it's your body taking care of it to protect it. I don't. I don't like it. It itches. Like I know you can't scratch it. It's gonna peel. Ah, oh, it's gonna peel. It's gonna peel. She's never had a scab like this before. Like, oh, Addy, it's okay. It's normal. It's okay. And she looks at me, and I can tell she's she's not really sold on this. And she's like, okay. And then yesterday she came up to me, Daddy, look. It's peeling, and you can see the scab is just like kind of peeling off. You know the kind of like mid-range scab; it's like half on, half off. And she's like panicking. She's like, "This is gross. This is terrible. Like, what's this this thing underneath? This kind of white, silvery-looking thing." And I'm like, "No, oh, Addie, Addie, it's okay." And I pick her up on my knee, like, "Addie, this is normal. This is how our body heals. God made us this way. This is what happens, Daddy." had scars before too, and I showed her some places where I've, I've skinned myself, where I've hurt myself. See, Daddy had a little scab here, and it peeled off just fine, and now Daddy's skin back to normal. And she looks at me and says, oh, okay. She crawls off my knee and runs off and goes to play. And I'm like, Dad win, that's a Dad win right there, yeah, yeah, that's a W right there. And what, what I was able to do, of course, is say, okay, Addy. I know you're going through something right now. But I've been through it too. I've been through it too. And God helped me through it, and we're okay. I also take some of my experience and help her through her experience. And that's what God calls us to do sometimes. To use our own experiences, to use our own lives to bless other people, to love other people. But what happens when it's more than just a little knee scrape? What happens when those wounds in our life, when those struggles in our life are deep. They're deep emotional scars, deep spiritual scars, cultural scars, things that have plagued us for years. What happens when it's like that? Can we still do the same thing? As Steve mentioned, we're in our purpose series. And last week, he said so eloquently that our purpose is to worship. We are to bring pleasure to God. Our lives are supposed to bring Him glory And we can do that, he said, in every aspect of our life. Every aspect. Now, if you think about life, a lot of life is interacting with people. So that must mean that, well, our interaction with people can bring God glory as well. Our interaction with people can be a form of worship as well. And as you might think, that, of course, has to do with loving other people. Matthew 22, 36 through 40, someone asked Jesus, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When we think of life, everything has to hang hang under the banner of loving God and loving others. Loving God and loving others others. That is the form of worship that our life, our interaction with people can take. But as anyone who has lived more than a couple of weeks knows, that can be quite difficult. That can often be quite difficult because people are imperfect, people are messy, and sometimes we are as well. Ephesians 2.10, we read this verse last week. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things. He's planned for us long ago. And yes, Jesus has planned for us to do amazing things for his kingdom. That is, a, that is part of our lives. That we can do amazing things. We can worship. We can bring him glory. We can bring people into the kingdom. It's amazing. We are masterpieces, except for that guy over there. <laughs> except for my co-worker at work. Except for this family member. They're not masterpieces. Have you seen them? Right? We look at other people and like, are you sure, God? (laughs) You know, they don't look like a Rembrandt or a, you know, they don't look like a Michelangelo. They don't look like a, like a Jim Lee Uncanny X-Men number one or Alex Ross Justice League cover. It's for you guys. It's for you guys. (laughs) They don't look amazing. But then, in reality, of course, neither do we. Right? Neither do we. Sometimes, we can be awfully hard to love. We don't look like those masterpieces. Sometimes we look more like, you know, the macaroni art pieces that toddlers bring home from preschool, and we're like, 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 oh yeah, it's so great. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, it's okay. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. Our kids are. It's beautiful. It's an act of love. But that's the reality, right? That the Bible says we're masterpieces, but oftentimes. People don't look like masterpieces, and we don't look like masterpieces. I live with my grandmother, and I love my grandmother. So I don't mean to dishonor at all. But sometimes, she and I do not get along. We don't get along. We come from a different culture. she has different opinions. She is very picky about where things go in the kitchen and which utensils are used for which plates and which times. And it's hard to remember all that. Her memory's starting to fade a little bit. Her hearing's starting to go a little bit. And oftentimes, I can get very frustrated uh, interacting with her. And I'm sure she gets frustrated with me as well. And yet somehow, I'm still called to love her. We can be hard to love because of our own issues. Other people can be hard to love because of their issues. Or it could be just circumstances in life. When stress hits, when disaster hits, when tragedy hits, that can bring up emotions. It can bring up turmoil. All that is really real. It's real. It's a part of life. And we talked about it today already in our, in our prophetic words. It's real. It's a part of life. And when we look at that, we don't always feel like we're products of the most high anymore. Because, man, life can be tough. We see our flaws, it can be distracting, depressing. We start thinking, I'm so imperfect. How can I even bring a smile to God's face? How can I share the good news? How can I love people? Sometimes I can't even love myself. Our weaknesses, others' weaknesses. Our trials, other people's trials. We're called to love, but man, that can be a challenge sometimes. Paul had a purpose. Paul had a purpose in life. He was able to live this out. And his purpose, he calls it in 2 Corinthians, the ministry of reconciliation. And that is, of course, restoring people to a loving relationship with God. And by extension, with each other. And he was able to live this out despite many, many challenges along the way. When he was writing 2 Corinthians, which is the book we're going to hang out in most of this, this preach, He had just gotten back into a good relationship with the whole Corinthian church. They had basically kicked him out. They had abandoned him for false teachers. They had insulted him, criticized him. One guy had apparently even yelled at him in the middle of the street. And if that happened to me, I'd probably fold. I'd be like, I'm out of here. Sorry, guys, I'm out. These people, going their own way. I've tried and I've tried. I've preached. I've spent time with them. I've prayed with them. But now I've been roundly criticized, and I feel the sting of their words I've been made aware of my own shortcomings. He says in Second Corinthians 12 that he has his thorn in his flesh, not a, not a real thorn in the flesh, but, but something spiritual, something, it could have been physical, we don't know. He never actually says what it is. But God never removes it. He has something that's been bothering him, that's been hampering him, and it's in his life. He faced persecutions, he faced beatings, death threats, conflict with other faiths, conflict with some of the other apostles. It was tough. Life was real for him. And yet he kept going. Me, I don't know if I would have. I don't know. And so it begs the question, how did Paul keep going? How could he continue to love people when they became quite unlovable? How could he continue to love people when he was hit with rejection and they didn't love him all the time? How could he continue to live on God's purpose in the face of so many challenges? That's the question we have to ask. The first thing that Paul had was he was secure in who he was in Christ. Not just in himself, but who he was in Christ. And that's an important distinction. Because we can try to find security in, oh yes, I am me and, and, and I'm good and that's what the world tries to say. That's okay. But you're missing something. You're missing something. What does your Creator say about you? Who does God say you are? Who does Jesus say you are? And there's tons of of, of names I could go over. But one? Masterpiece. Masterpiece. Paul was the one who said that verse in Ephesians. Masterpiece. So even despite all of his flaws, despite all of his shortcomings, he said, yeah, I'm still a masterpiece of God. I am. I'm also a citizen of heaven, he says. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a new creation. I'm a child of God. Paul was all those things and he could find security in that. Because our world is anything but secure. We pretend we are. We think we are. The world tries to convince you you are. But in reality, it's all a trick. It's all a lie. Because the things we place our identities in can be temporary, slippery, and faulty. Especially in American culture. In American culture, we think people need to be big, have strength, winners, celebrities. God wants the strong, the successful The ones who have it all together. This is God we're talking about. Jesus, our Savior. We can't represent it with rags and failures. We're called to lead. Leadership, influence, victory. And those are all essential things to the kingdom. But when we think about that and we combine it with American culture, there's a little danger that creeps in there. We carry the gospel. We carry Jesus with us. God has chosen us to do great things in the kingdom. But then our culture emphasizes our own accomplishments. I did this. My work, my hands, my sweat, my toil, my plan. The spotlight is on me. And then the focus rests on ourselves. And this extreme self-pride, the glory then goes to us and not to God. And then we've undone our purpose. Our purpose was to bring God glory, but instead we're bringing it back to us. It becomes, what can I do with my knowledge and my wisdom and my power? And indeed, parts of the church have fallen into this trap. It reminds me of the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees who tried to live their lives according to the law. Follow all the rules. Be a good person as much as you can. And by the way, if you don't, then you failed. And what was their attitude? Look at me when I pray. I should be sitting in the best seat. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. And certainly, those last two are good things. But with their attitude, they're basically saying, I'm the guy. I've got it all together. And Pharisees would also hold that standard over everyone else. I'm the guy, therefore you are not. Remember what Jesus' parable said? He, he described one of the Pharisees. The Pharisees praying and says, thank you, God, that I am not like all those other people. Whew. Dripping with judgment and offense. Not the most conducive attitude towards loving other people in our American ideals, with strength being number one, being the best, you can set yourself up to be your own god. And when trial comes then, what happens? When actual weakness comes, what happens? When your flaws are exposed, then what happens? Well, then I've got to conquer it, right? I've got to, I've got to make sure that I push those down, or else then I'm a failure, then I'm a loser. All these weaknesses, and the faults, the flaws, the mistakes, I need to deny them, I need to hide them, Struggle is a weakness. I've got to purge it out of my life. And I try, and I try, and I try, but then you realize you can't. You can't all the time do that. And it's harder than it looks. You realize you may not have been the guy you thought you were after all, and you realize you may be fallen just like anyone else. And then you feel powerless, not so secure after all. You might fall into a cycle of shame and guilt. Fall into patterns of destructive behavior just to cover it up. You develop a critical nature. You puff up your chest. Just conceal your own pain and weakness. Think, yes, I can be big. But inside, you realize, oh my god, I'm actually kind of small. Worshiping the wrong person, the focus on the wrong person, will set us up for failure. And it's not very conducive to loving other people. Because when we try to love people from a place of self-worship, our love is often tainted with manipulation, demands, and conditions. I'm going to try to love you. I'm going to love you. But I need you to love me back. And if you don't, then I have somehow failed. Or you have somehow failed. Loving people means loving them in their weaknesses and trial. And when those crop up, that can make it hard. And when we're so worried about ourselves then we're going to push them away. Because we shirk back because it's tough. It's hard. I can't love like that because I'm dealing with all my own issues. We start seeing them as problems and, and issues rather than people. And when we try to love from our own power, it comes with an agenda. It's like, I just need to fix you. I just need to, to change you. And we look for cures, but we fail to care. We try to cure them without actually loving them. And there's a danger there when you try to heal people without love because then it comes out as harsh and the gospel becomes judgmental and it becomes more about behavior and following rules than about love and relationship. It's easier to just think about rules, just do this, just do that, then God loves you. It's easier to do that, it's easier to say that because then I don't have to interact. Then it's just up to them. Then I don't have to get involved. It's easier. And why do I use the word easy? Because that means it's easier for me. It's easier for me, not them, for me. So again, the focus comes back to us. It's far easier to try to fix them, become a would-be savior, offer quick solutions, just use clever words and strategies. Maybe I'll shame them into changing. Maybe I'll strong on them. Hey, you should just conceal your emotions. Don't, don't act like that. What a snowflake. You're all triggered. Why can't you just look like me? That's basically what we're saying. We start caring more about the results and tallying how many people we minister to or save. The question we ask is, look what I can do, guys, and not, how are you doing? We try to be the savior. We try to be the hero. It's very American, but it isn't very kingdom. Sorry if that insults anybody, but... When it doesn't happen fast enough, right? People try to change, and when it doesn't happen fast enough for our liking, we burn out. We burn that bridge and say, well, fine, you're on your own. Because it's far easier to just let them stay in their struggles. You know, I'll just, you know, inwardly cringe at your own struggles. And I'll run away and keep my distance. Jesus loves you. Yeah, he does. (laughs) But don't come close to me. Don't come close to me. That's what can happen. So what do we do instead? There's a heart change that needs to happen. A heart change that needs to happen. The object of our worship needs to shift. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee, and he had many of the same qualities that we just talked about. But all that changed when he encountered Jesus. Paul's eye shifted from himself to what God saw. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure, the gospel, Jesus, in clay jars, himself, and people. We have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. So this treasure, the gospel, God's power, God's grace, God's healing. Paul seems to be saying, that's what we need to be paying attention to. Not me. Paul seems to be saying, yep, I've got weaknesses, everybody. I am just a clay jar. That's all I am. That's all I am. You're looking for the guy. It's not me. You're looking for Jesus. Jesus is what we need to be looking at. His attitude shifted from the Pharisee of Pharisees to clay jar. He shifted from pride in himself to humility before Christ. He changed his self-worship and self-glory, and he took himself off the throne and placed God there instead. We recognize our purpose is to worship, but we need to actually be worshiping the right person, Jesus Christ. And there's a freedom in that. There is a freedom. Because no longer do I have to worry about the world and its expectations. I don't have to worry about what anyone else has called me. I don't have to worry about my own struggles. Real as they are, I can just say, yes, Jesus is king. I'm not the king. Jesus is king. He's in charge. I don't have to worry about the rest of it. And I can just be free to love. Free to love. Now perhaps so. Maybe we're not the ones on the throne, and neither is Jesus, but it's the circumstances of our life that become the king on the throne. Because it's very easy to let those things in life dominate us. They can be so overwhelming, and I'm not trying to minimize them, but they can be so overwhelming that it's all we think about. When trials come, we get lost in our doubts, our insecurities. We get paralyzed by fear or indecision. It's like living with a constant shadow just lurking over our shoulder, chasing us. It was hard to worship, hard to love, because we're so overwhelmed. Our culture sometimes says, well, then just accept it. Just accept it. Sometimes even celebrate the things we're struggling with. Oh, my anger that is totally hurting the rest of my family and my friends? I'm just built that way. I can't change. I'm just being me. That's just the way I am. I've had, I, I had a friend back in college, and he and, um, he and his girlfriend were arguing. And... Um, I love I statements, okay? I statements are very important in relationships because you can say, um, you know, I felt uh, I felt really shamed when you did this, right? Your actions uh, made me feel like this, okay? That's, it's a very healthy way of, of describing things. But sometimes people take it in the wrong way. And he said this, he said, I feel like she's a... <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. You can think of whatever word you want. He said, I feel that, and I'm like, that's not a feeling, that's not an emotion, okay, you, that's an opinion, that's not a feeling. Okay, so if anyone says that, that is not the way you're supposed to use I statements, okay? But sometimes we say like, well, I feel this, so I'm just going to express it the way I want to. No matter how much it hurts somebody, that's what I'm feeling inside, and the world tells me my feelings are okay, and generally they are. They indicate something to us. Our emotions are important. But when we let them take control over us, when we let them be our king, then it comes out in some very negative ways sometimes. I'm sure we've all done it. I'm sure we've all experienced it. I've done it. Absolutely. Or we start to believe the negative things about ourselves, all the things that are piling onto us. Well, I've been told I'm a failure. I'm an idiot. I'm a bad mother. I'm a bad father. I'm lazy. I'm a sinner. And then we start to adopt those mentalities. We start to of think, well, maybe that's true. Maybe that is who I am. And then we start living that out. We start self-sabotaging, start self-harming, and we become a self-fulfilling prophecy of destruction. Or maybe we become the victims. Everyone's out to get me. The world's out to get me. How come it's always me? I must be worthless to you, God. How can you let all these things happen to me? Maybe God doesn't care after all. When any of these things come to play, whether a combination or just one, we can start blaming others, not taking responsibility for our own actions, covering our own tracks. We circle the wagons of our lives. We raise our shields of times we've been hurt. We pull out the old wounds as ammo against other people. We quarrel. We bring pain to others just so they can feel our pain. We often act like wounded animals, ready to tear limb from limb, anybody who gets in our way, on our way out. We become resentful, hateful, unforgiving. It's easier than to give in to sin. It's easier than to burn the bridges. I've got to do these things so I can be in control. The conflict, decay, the pain, the death, they define us because we're so focused on them and what we're feeling. And oh my gosh, it turns out that maybe it wasn't just the things around us that are on the throne. It was me all along and what I'm feeling. And so then the remedy is the same. Take our eyes off of ourselves. Take our eyes off of the circumstances. Take our eyes and shift them to Jesus. Shift them to Jesus. Hardship and trial are real. They absolutely are. This is the world. We live in a fallen world. I hate to say it, but it's true. How can we continue to love? How can we continue to live out our purpose when all these things around us, all these things we're feeling, all these labels that have been put on us, all of our struggles, when they are real? we shift our eyes back to Jesus. We let him be king again. Paul knew this. He understood this. He had weaknesses, he had challenges, he had trials, yet he was able to maintain his deep hope and ability to love. Right after the Jars of Clay verse that we just read, he says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. Now, he's not saying that we can't take some time to recover, or recuperate, or lament, or cry out to God. The Bible is full of psalms and people crying out to God in their turmoil, nor is he mitigating or minimizing the pain that comes from trial or weakness. But Paul didn't define himself by the tragedy. He didn't define himself by the hardship. He defined himself by what Jesus saw. He let Jesus define him in the midst of of circumstances. He let Jesus reframe the way that he saw his circumstances. I have been perplexed, I certainly have. I have been persecuted. You guys can see it all around me. But because of Jesus, I am not destroyed. Because of Jesus, I can stand. I can suffer. I can do that. I can suffer. That's a tough thing to say, right? It's a tough pill to swallow, this idea that I can suffer. Because especially in our modern-day America, where every aspect of our life is trying to basically minimize suffering, right? We live in the contemporary world, We've, we've gotten rid of all these forms of suffering. I, admittedly, I love it, right? We love our comforts. One of the comforts that I am so grateful for, so grateful for, is indoor plumbing. Because in the Middle Ages, you would have had to, you know, do your business and toss it out the window into the street. I'm very glad that we don't have that on Whittier Boulevard. That would be terrible, right? I'm very glad for toilets. So, Steve. You said, last week, that your purpose is to minister to love people, absolutely, and I believe that. And, and it's just your job, uh, the way to provide your family, that you work at American Standard to provide toilets and mineral plumbing. But sir, I want to salute you, because you are making our lives more comfortable, and you have a very important job. <laughs> yeah, everybody. Um, but. Suffering is a reality. What? Oh, yeah, Adrian, yeah. Anyone, all this good stuff, good stuff. Um, Anyways, (laughs) hardship is a part of life. Hardship is a part of life. Paul was able to see hardship and work through it because he also saw it in Jesus' life, right? Lest we forget that Jesus suffered a lot too. He was born into poverty, surrounded by animals and probably animal poop. Not the most sterile and clean environment that we would like babies to be born into. That was his first breath. Growing up as a carpenter, not high class or influential job. He was surrounded by people that didn't believe him. Some wanted to kill him. Disciples that just didn't get it. And of course, the cross. And of course, the cross. Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered. Tim Keller writes, Christians know that he so loves the helpless, the grief-stricken, and the oppressed that he literally became one of them. God suffers with us. In the Old Testament, Isaiah refers to Jesus as the suffering servant. The what now? The suffering servant. Remember back in the 90s when we were all into the phrase, what would Jesus do? Right? So what would Jesus do? Part of that is suffer. Hmm. I'm not sure I like that. Because I'm down with loving my neighbor. I might be cool with, you know, becoming more patient. I'm good with trying to become more meek. I like coming to church on Sunday morning. I can give up my Sunday morning for that. I have no problem maybe even with tithing or financially trusting God. But suffering, uh, we're not exactly selling it, right? Carrying around the death of Jesus? I'm not so sure I'm into that, Paul. Paul understood the motivation for Christ's suffering. Why could Jesus suffer? Christ's suffering was out of love for us. Jesus chose to suffer. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? God, if there's any other way that this can be done, please let let this cup be taken from me. But not my will, but your will. He chose, and he was obedient to suffer for all of us. He did it for our sake. And that means, then, that we were worth it. We were worth it in God's eyes that he would choose to suffer for us. Even though we aren't perfect, even though we do struggle, even with our sin, even with our insecurities, our fears, our faithlessness, our doubts, even with all the craziness of life, Jesus loved us. Jesus loved Paul and that changed who he was. Will it change us? Jesus is, as we say, compassion, right? The word compassion literally means to suffer with. Calm is the uh, means with, and passion literally means suffering. So when we had the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it really means the suffering of Jesus. And that suffering was for us. Jesus basically tells us, I am willing to love you during and through any struggles and weaknesses that you have. I love you, I love you, I love you. God made a way for us to be back in his family, and it took some suffering. But that, but he was. we were worth it. We were worth that suffering. And this changes the way that we can look at our life and look at ourselves. Because in that, we can be fully secure. I don't have to be afraid. I can let go of my fears. I can let go of the pressures of the culture. I can let go of the identities and the lies that have been thrust on me. I don't have to listen to all my petty preferences in life or let my circumstances dictate my life. I can have a strong foundation, a rock-solid foundation against the emotional turmoil, against the normal craziness and the abnormal craziness of everyday life. This changes everything. We can say, I can endure because God loved me so powerfully. I am secure in who I am. I can stand because Jesus suffers with me and brings me life. I can be strong enough to take what comes because the Holy Spirit is with me. I can be a new person because Jesus has given me new life. As Paul says in Romans 6, 5, for we have been united with him in a death like his, the suffering, we will be certainly united with him in a resurrection like his. And this isn't just resurrection, just heaven. This isn't just the end of life. This starts now. Resurrection life starts now. You can live that life now. And it starts with knowing that you are truly undoubtedly, completely loved by the suffering servant. You are completely loved by Jesus. And because of that, you get to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your life can be true worship. And that includes trusting Him with our weaknesses. And that means that if God loved me this much, We can jump to loving other people. But first let's start with, then I can love myself that much. I can love myself that much. Or as we talked about earlier today, I can forgive myself. Because we all know our own darkness. We all know our own sin. I know mine. I can forgive myself. Because if Jesus loved me that much, then maybe I can start seeing myself that way too. Loving myself doesn't mean I can be selfish and narcissistic and hurt those around me because of my own pain. Neither does it mean I should just let my sin run rapid because that's easier. That can be loving myself, right? No. This is loving myself to saying, I see myself like God sees me. The one who loves me so completely. How does he see me? His child, beloved son, cherished daughter. I can start seeing myself that way. Will I? Will I say, yes, Jesus, who you see, that's who I am. In that, we can find healing, we can find fulfillment, find breakthrough. We can find the me who has the potential in God's eyes, the me who can find complete joy in worshiping and bringing him glory, the me who can find freedom in Christ. And then I can say, I am not crushed, I am not forsaken. I am not spiraling in despair. I am not destroyed. It's so much easier to say that when we can say, yes, I am who God says I am. I am truly loved. I'm worth it because God says so. I don't have to wallow my self-pity. I don't have to give into my sinful flesh because of my despair, because I am loved. God's love shines in us when we stand in the midst of weakness, when we bring glory to Him by saying, yes, I can see myself. And I can live my life the way Jesus sees it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. But he said to me, this is Paul speaking again, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Not in strength, not in being all that, not in being the guy. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, we're not supposed to go look for it. We don't go look for suffering. We don't look to go get persecuted. That's not not a good idea. But we say, when those things happen, I'm going to rely on Christ. When those things happen, I will lean into my Creator. I will lean into the one who loves me, because that love secures me. Paul says he delights in trials, because when he is weak, then God gets to shine. That's worship. That's worship, when God gets to shine from our lives. And indeed, God wants to shine. Because he doesn't want to just help us survive, right? He doesn't want to just let our lives be like, oh yeah, it's good, it's good, right? That's part of it, sure. But God wants to do a little bit more than that. God wants to shine a little bit more by giving us transformation. Transformation. Graham Cook says, the very places that we are struggling, the very places that Satan accuses us of being weak and failures, those are the places where God wants to shine the most. Because God wants to bring us transformation, and bring us closer to the image of God. I love this about God. I love this because he's kind of mischievous, right? I love seeing uh, God's character come out in my kids absolutely love it, because that means that, okay, we're raising them right, and also the Holy Spirit is working in their lives. Uh, Ethan, the other day, we were driving along, and he saw a homeless guy on the street. He says, Dad, stop the van. Why? We need to go get that guy a meal. <laughs> what am I going to say that? No. All right. All right, Ethan. You heard God. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. And Addy, well, Addy is, let me put it this way. When, when, I, when Addie was three months old, I looked at Addie, I was holding her, she was being all adorable as she is. Then I looked at her, and then she has this little glint in her eye, this little smirk on her face. (laughs) Right right there, like you can see it. There's just something on her face that reads, I'm up to something. (laughs) I'm plotting in my head, I'm only three months old, but oh, you think I'm stuck in this couch now. But no, I'm up to something. She's mischievous and she lives that out. And sometimes it gets into trouble, but oftentimes it's incredibly adorable and really kind of clever. And I think that's part of God too. God is a little mischievous sometimes. God isn't just, oh so, yes, you know, like, I'm God. and I'm gonna look on you, we're gonna do things right. Be all clean, squeak clean. No, like God is almost like, oh Satan, I see what you're doing over there. I see you plaguing my kids. I see you going to my kids and saying, like, no, you're this, you're that. Knocking them down. But he's like, no, no, I'm gonna turn this on its head. Because watch them. They're going to lean into me. They're going to lean into me and find transformation. They're going to lean into me and see their lives turn into something different. What you meant for evil, I mean for good. What you meant for death, I mean for life. That's who God is. A little mischievous. Oh, we're going to turn this world upside down, people. Let's do it. I love that about God. Because God is in the business of growing us. He wants to transform us. He wants to bring us into new character. And he uses our struggles to do that. We can find purpose in our struggles. Yes, they're painful. Yes, they are tough. But God wants to bring glory to him through those struggles. Romans 5.2 More than that Paul says More than that We rejoice in our sufferings Knowing that suffering Produces endurance And endurance produces character And character produces hope And hope does not put us to shame Because God's love Has been poured into our hearts Through the Holy Spirit Who has been given to us And James 1.2-4 Consider it pure joy My brothers and sisters Wherever you face trials Of many kinds Because you know That the testing of your faith Produces perseverance Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Sometimes God rescues us, takes us out of our conflicts, takes us out of our situations, sure, but sometimes He uses it to grow us. We can find maturity. We can find growth. God turns hardship into growth. The gospel turns trial into maturity. Jesus turns despair into hope. Relational struggles? Usually we'd go burn a bridge. You're out of my life but instead it can lead to mature conversations, apologies, forgiveness, reconciliation. Are you dealing with loneliness? If you put yourself more into deeper isolation, which many people are wont to do, instead we seek authentic community. are struggling with sin or addictions, God's going to give you a new revelation of love and freedom. Feeling aimless, feeling lazy, God wants to give you a firm vision for life. Growth in our character. Becoming more like Jesus. That's what God wants to do for us. And he's going to use our weaknesses. So our weaknesses could have been obstacles. They could have been walls. But no, they are chances to let God shine. To bring him glory. And in that way, we can live out our purpose of worship. By trusting him in those things. God loves to see this. God loves to see his kids succeed. Right? When your kid, if you have a kid, when, when they succeed in something, you're like, yes, good job awesome, how do you feel about yourself? God's the same way. Hey, you got a little breakthrough today. You did well today. You loved a bit more today. I knew you could do it. God wants to give that to us. And when we live our lives like that, then maybe we can actually go and fully love people. And they can find that breakthrough as well. Maybe God can use us to magnify Him to others through us, through our weaknesses. Second Corinthians 4, through 15. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with the scripture, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will, also raise, will, will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake so that grace as it extends to more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Grace is extended to more and more people for God's glory through us, through our hardships. It's for others so they can see and experience Christ just as we have. We are being brought into his presence, the same presence that healed us, and he wants to use those same weaknesses to display his power so that others may experience him. So, what is our purpose? Share life with others, the good times and the bad. Paul was unafraid to admit that, yep, I've got weaknesses. But it's for your sake that I suffer. So you can see God in action. So you can see God in real life. Who else could turn this Pharisee of Pharisees into the greatest missionary the world has ever known? Paul was able to love and share his life. He could have hidden it away. But no, he let it shine because then Jesus could shine. Can we do the same? And of course, it's not the easiest thing to do in the world because putting ourselves out there, people are messy. People can be critical. People are complicated. People hurt us. We hurt people. That is real. People can be hard to love. I can be hard to love. But what if that's the entire point? What if that is the entire point? To love the hardest thing magnifies Christ the most. To love the hardest parts of life. I will continue to love because God will continue to love. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all consolation who consoles us in our affliction so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with a consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. And I know that's a mouthful of a sentence. But what it's basically saying is that we have our struggles. God heals us. So we can use our struggles and help other people find healing too. God wants to use us. Will we see our lives as that? And then will we see people as Jesus sees them? Because yes, I need that safety from God. But so do other people. Can I see people the way God sees them? Can I see people the way God sees them? We were worth the suffering, so are they. We are worth the suffering, and then f- so are they. The same love that walked us through can walk them through as well. Second Corinthians 5, 14-21 For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all so that that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become righteousness of God. So friends, we are the ambassadors of Christ. We take the message of reconciliation, to other people but in order to do that we need to see people the way God sees them we see new creations we prophetically say yes I see your potential I see what God can do in your life I see it we are ambassadors of this message they are afflicted they are weak they are pained they are burdened but so are we we carry this message we are the clays we are the jars of clay and they carry this treasure this message of hope message of hope that I was not beyond hope And if I was not beyond hope, then you are not beyond hope as well. He's giving us this opportunity to use our lives. If we are secure in Christ, when our hearts are full of gratitude and our goal is to bring glory and joy to God's heart, we can live out this purpose and bring people to God. And yes, that takes time. That takes energy. It takes patience. It takes grace. It might need listening, maybe even crying with people, maybe praying with people. It means opening up our own lives, opening ourselves up to a little rejection sometimes. Maybe experiencing that pain from whatever struggles it was. I know that can be tough. It means seeing people make breakthrough. It means sometimes hitting bumps along the road. But it means participating in their life. It means being involved with them, having compassion for them, sometimes suffering with them. Jesus did it for us, and we can do it for others. Our weaknesses allow us to connect with other weaknesses. Our suffering are conversation starters. They are points of connection with people. They could have been obstacles, but it's what God wants to use to minister to other people. We think of the, the image of, you know, God says we are fishers of men. And of course, for fishing, for most of us, that just means taking a rod and putting a little worm on the hook and throwing it into the water. It just kind of bobbles there on the surface. But when he was talking to the fishermen back then, they were taking their nets and plunging them down into the depths. Sometimes we've got to go down into the depths of life. We have to be willing to go deep with people, to go into their very soul sometimes, the places where sometimes we didn't want to go again. We've got to go deep with them. We have the opportunity to use people's flaws and our flaws and their trials and our trials to say, yeah, we all experience this. We're in this life together. But through Christ, I found hope, and I believe you can. So where have you been crushed? Where have you struggled? And where has God given you breakthrough? That may be the very place that God wants to start with you to love other people. If you've had emotional turmoil, someone else in this very room or someone out there may need you to give them a touch from God. If you've struggled with a sin and you found some breakthrough, someone else could be struggling that same way. You could be that very person that God wants to use to bless them, to help them find freedom. My son, Ethan, he has, I'll call it an affliction right now. And that is that he feels a lot of shame. A lot of shame. It comes from our culture. Asian culture is full of shame. And I'm not sure exactly how he picked it up. We've tried our best to not shame him. But I, I imagine somewhere along the line, I made a couple mistakes. I was tired. I've said things. And it probably shamed him. And somewhere along the line, he picked it up. And he harbors it very deeply. He's a, he's a big emotional feeler. And the problem is that when he feels the shame, he doesn't know how to deal with it yet. And so what he does is he actually starts to try to spank himself. He tries to hit himself, trying to make recompense, trying to knock that feeling away. And it breaks my heart because he's my son, and I don't want him to have to go through this. I don't want him to have to deal with, with these normal emotions this way. And every part of me wants to go up to him and, and just like, No, son, don't do that, don't do that. But I know that that's going to hurt him in the long run. Because what that does is basically shaming him for feeling shame. Don't do that. It communicates like, oh, you're a bad person for doing this. And so I thought to myself, all right, well, who else do I know who has struggle with this? And the answer is me. Some of you know my story. In high school, I felt a lot of shame because yeah, in my high school years, I was not living up to the standards of my community. I was not getting the grades that I was expected to get. And I would actually go hide myself in my room, and I would take my fist, and I would pound my own head really hard. I would throw myself against the wall. And I've been there. And God was able to heal me. God was able to say, "I don't care." That you're not getting the grades that other people uh, expect you to get. What I care about is that you are my son. And that changes things. That brings healing. And yeah, I still struggle sometimes. I feel those shames. It does come out. But then I have to go back to that place and say, okay, wait a minute. God, I'm your child. My identity does not rest in all those other things. What other people say about me. My identity rests in you. And in that I can be secure. And so then when I see my son, Ethan, he starts to hit himself. And every ounce of me, again, wants to like, nobody, just stop it, just stop it, just fix the problem, just fix the problem. I don't want to deal with this, because I feel a little bit of shame watching him doing it. And I have to go back into the quiet place, into the depths of my heart, and say, wait a minute. God loves me, so I can love him. How does he need love right now? He needs that soft, gentle touch, just like I did not the hard, firm fist. He needs love. And so I pick him up, put him on my knee. Buddy, you are safe. You are safe. You don't have to do this because you are loved. We don't want to punish you. That's not who we are. You are safe with us. You are loved. I love you. Mommy loves you. Sister loves you. Jesus loves you. You are loved. And gradually we start to see a little bit of change. You can see him unclench his fists. His body melts a little bit. His face starts to become a little easier. The muscles, they lose their tension. You can start seeing that burden wash away a little bit. And yeah, it can come back. It's a process. It takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. We cannot expect that because it didn't happen with us that way. It took time. It took patience. It took some suffering to get there. But God was willing to stick it out with us. He's willing to love us through those things. He's willing to love you through those things. And He's willing to love them through those things. Are we willing to love them as well like that? Are we willing to suffer with them like that? Friends, I don't know where you are in life. I don't know if maybe you're dealing with something, something that's been plaguing you for a long time, identity issues, emotional hurts, family issues. I don't know, but God does. He wants you to entrust that to him. So if you're willing, close your eyes with me. Go into that quiet place, the quiet place of your soul. Jesus wants you to know that you are loved. That thing, that monster that you're dealing with, he says, you are healed because my love is greater than that. I have great purposes for you, my son. I have great purposes for you, my daughter. And I know you can't see it right now. I know you're stuck. But I want to free you from that. I want you to love yourself like I love you. And I love you so deeply. I love you so completely. I was willing to go to the ends of the earth, the ends of life, for you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Friends, you are healed. You are healed in Jesus' name. That is who you are. God wants you to find security in that. Know that nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of our Heavenly Father. God, we love you. And I pray, Lord, that we can take the security, the love that you give us and bring it to others. To know that these things in life are real. but God, you turn them into victory. God, may we live in victory today. May we not live in defeat, not live in being overwhelmed, but live in your victory. We pray in your son's holy name. Amen. Friends, if you need more prayer, uh, some of the leadership will be up here. We'd love to pray for you. It's a reality. Life is real. We can't get around that. But God is real too. Amen? Yes. God is real too. God has something else to say. Let's live in that victory. Amen. All right, everyone. Everyone doing okay? Okay. Um, is there anything else? Do we have anything else? No? Okay. Well, I think that's uh, what we've got for today. So go live in victory, friends. Go out there and love other people. Know that there are hurting people out there. And God wants to use you to do it. Let's go live that. We love you.